This episode is brought to you in part by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. The strongest MDiv just got stronger. Southern Seminary's new MDiv is now simplified, personalized, and incentivized. It's simplified by providing students a foundational core of 21 credit hours in each of these three academic disciplines, biblical studies, theological studies, and practical studies. It's personalized through 21 credit hours of electives that students customize around their unique ministry calling to earn graduate certificates. Those certificates indicate specialized training in key areas of ministry. It's incentivized by saving residential MDiv students $1,800 in tuition each semester. The benefits of all MDiv students are greater personalization, increased specialization, and the opportunity to earn more credentials in an efficient amount of time. Discover how you can benefit from an MDiv that is simplified, personalized, and incentivized at sbts.edu forward slash new MDiv. Once again, that's sbts.edu forward slash new MDiv. Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. Our goal is to help Christians understand the truth of Romans 15, 14, that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm one of your hosts, Curtis Solomon. And I'm Lincoln Liu, your other host. Be sure to check out other resources from the BCC at biblicalcc.org. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of 1514. It's a delight to have you as part of our audience. Today's episode is an interview that Lakin and I got to do with Dr. Jim Berg. Dr. Berg is a longtime professor of biblical counseling at Bob Jones Seminary and College, and he is the author of many books, and one of those books has recently been updated and re-released. It is called Changed into His Image, God's Plan for Transforming Your Life. And Dr. Berg really goes through just the biblical process of change, what it looks like, how we do it. It, uh, and he gives practical insights on how you as a person can apply these things to your life, but also you as a biblical counselor can help apply these things to the life of another person. I was really encouraged by all that we had to talk about, and I hope that you are as well. We're in the middle of our One Person a Week campaign. That is our year-end fundraising campaign to help support the ministry of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. And this year, our campaign is focused around inviting one person a week, where we are asking you, friends of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, to invite one person a week to support the ministry. Uh, Share with them an idea or a reason why you love the ministry. Maybe share with them this week a book review that you find on our website or on our podcast and point them to the great resources that the BCC offers, including highlighting wonderful works that are out there, resources that people can use to help themselves or to help others. Uh, Thanks again for listening and be sure to invite one person this week to support the ministry of the BCC. Well, Jim Berg, thank you so much for joining us for 1514 today. Thank you for having me. Would you mind introducing yourself to our audience? Yes. Um, I am a graduate of Bob Jones University. I came there in 1970 uh, after a period of rebellion in high school. And uh, God turned my heart around, called me to ministry, and I studied in uh, for ministry there. Undergrad and grad school, and then for 30 years was uh, the dean of students, overseeing all the student life on campus. And the last 13 years, I've been full-time professor of biblical counseling at the seminary. Uh, my wife has taught there for many, many years, retired about five years ago, and um, have three daughters, all of them and their husbands in ministry of some sort, two pastors, and 
uh, another, um, uh, my youngest daughter and her husband both teach at BJU. So um, just really grateful for the Lord's um, leadership and, and blessing. I noticed you said your wife retired, but you have not. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, actually, uh, I I'm uh, still teaching, uh, but I'm on. Uh, so currently, I, I'm on a writing sabbatical uh, this uh, past year and the next uh, two or three years, um, and I'm really excited about that. I'm working on a text on addiction counseling right now. Subtitle is um, a practical guide for biblical counselors addiction strugglers and their families and hope to be a help to those uh, groups of people. Yeah, we'll definitely look forward to that, uh, that coming out the, but as we mentioned, you not being retired, we're actually talking about a new, a, a different book that just re-released. This is a second edition. So it wasn't a totally new writing project, but I'm sure it's different. And we're uh, talking today about your book changed into his image. Can you, can you share with our audience just the thesis of that book? Yes, yes. I, actually, uh, the first edition came out in 1998 and then um, uh, with Bob Jones University Press. And actually, they produced an update, technically the second edition in 2019. So this one with uh, PNR is the third edition. Um, the the, the uh, thesis of the book is to... Uh, set forth for people um, a clearly understood um, uh, pathway of sanctification. What is sanctification, and how does it um, how does it work to transform our lives? My initial burden was for my daughters, um, three daughters, and uh, in high school, I just became burdened that as they leave my home. I wanted them to take with them the themes of sanctification that we had uh, used in our discipleship of them and our parenting. And so it was originally written for them, but as dean of students, I'm, I was also dealing with many, many parents and students and, and even pastors sometimes who didn't understand sanctification mm. and uh, how God uses trials. Most of the people in my office uh, counseling or discipline, we're facing a trial of some sort. And so how how does God use trials to make us like his son? Mm-hmm. So that was the broader uh, burden for that. And God in his providence um, in those first two editions um, uh, put out 130,000 copies of the mm-hmm. book. And I just absolutely surprised um, uh, about that. The second edition just updated some of the illustrations um, in 1997. One of the illustrations about a young man and his parents trying to deal with him having found pornography in a, under a mat in the trunk of his car in 2019 updated to, you know, pornography on the computer. So there were just some, um, time issues there that had to be corrected uh, this uh, this edition was just a burden to reach um, a broader audience with what I think is a crucial message um, the BJ press uh, primarily uh, their their field of coverage are independent Baptists and so I and of course many of my friends are are beyond that and uh, broader than that circle, I should say. And so I, I wanted them to be able to uh, have it. And I also wanted to 
change it to the ESV uh, instead of the King James, and that's been really well received. Mm. That's great. Why do you think that it is so important for Christians to understand the principle at the heart of this book for anyone at any stage, whether they're a new believer or um, have been a believer for years? Well, we don't we don't get to make up our own uh, method of sanctification any more than we can make up mm-hmm. our own method of salvation. You know, there's been a gospel track around for years called God's Simple Plan of Salvation, and and you you don't get to make up uh, your own version of how that happens, how you come to Christ in repentance and faith. And we don't get to make up our own version of sanctification, how we become like Christ. And I, I found that many believers did not understand that process. I, I mentioned in the first chapter that um, it, 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 we could be much like Christopher Columbus. The Christopher Columbus Award goes to those who like good old Chris when they set out to go someplace, don't know where they're going. When they get there, they don't know where they are. And when they come back, they don't know where they've been. And, and we can be like that with our Christian life, too. We really don't know where we're headed. We're just kind of stumbling along. And, and God is really clear in the New Testament how sanctification takes place. Uh, and I wanted to um, outline that in, in layman's terms, not just for my daughters, but my father uh, was a mechanic. He's with the Lord, a blue-collar worker. And my burden was that the, the blue-collar workers could understand sanctification. And so I wrote it I wrote it on the level for my dad. It had nothing more than a high school education. And uh, others in the church, uh, the New Testament was written mostly to blue-collar workers in their day. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted God's people to be able to understand this without Bible college uh, education or um, seminary degree. Yeah, that's really helpful. And, and you mentioned the, because sanctification is change. Like that is the goal that we, and it's in the title of the book, Changed into His Image. So we talk about change needing to take place, but also a direction of that change. But also you, you I, I really appreciate it because you get into different types of change that we can experience as Christians that are really substitutes or um, I don't remember if you use the term and I'm imitations of the real change that we're after, but they ultimately fall short of real sanctification. Could you share maybe a couple examples yes. of what yes. that looks like? Uh, and, in, in the first chapter, I have a section, not just any change will do. Mm-hmm. And just, uh, I, I mentioned a spoiled teen may stop his sulking, which is a desirable change for his parents, but only because his parents have acquiesced and have given him the car he wanted. Mm. Or a depressed wife may become her old cheerful self again, a desirable change, but only because her alcoholic husband has granted her a divorce. Or a college student may be getting better grades, a desirable change, but only because she's found a boyfriend whose affection has lifted her spirits Mm. so that she feels like studying again. Or an embittered dock worker may stop his complaining about the foreman's decisions, a desirable change, but only because the foreman was transferred to another terminal. So the only thing here that has changed is the person's circumstances, not his own heart as it processes and interprets those circumstances Mm -hmm. and understands how God wants to use those trials to make him look more like Christ. Uh, That's that's really helpful. And I think another one you've, I know you've run into in your context and we run into it 
in Bible colleges, Christian colleges, but in reality, it's a temptation in every Christian home is the, the temptation to make little Pharisees, right? Because mm-hmm. we, yes. yes. we can use, in a sense, behavior modification as parents through discipline and sometimes even well-intentioned biblical discipline, and, but we are addressing behavior and not the heart. Yes, um, yes. Talk about that a little bit more and yes, how... I, I think it's important for parents to understand that their role is to be a disciple maker. I mean, these children don't come out of the womb quoting John three sixteen, you know, <laughs> uh, or, or saying, Jesus loves me, this I know. Uh, they come out little unbelievers, you mm-hmm. know, at that point, and the mission is for us to evangelize them and then disciple them. So um, it, that's got to be foremost in our minds. Uh, you know, we we had uh, three girls, and, and um, this is an exact thing that happened, but it's a characteristic. So you have a three-year-old girl and a five-year-old girl, and they're fighting, and and um, the three-year-old um, uh, hits the five-year-old with her hairbrush, and the five-year-old takes it away and hits her back. <laughs> um, you know, you can, you can do behavior management because you're bigger than both of them and say you get to this side of the room and you go to the other side of the room and if you even look at each other your history um or or you can sit them down on the couch next to each other and get down on your knees and look them eyeball to eyeball and say to the three-year-old who who probably isn't even a believer at that time but she's been in your house and understands that there is a god we reverence and she and you can look at her and say i want to ask you a question when you hit your sister with your hairbrush were you pleasing Jesus or were you pleasing yourself? Mm. A three-year-old can get that. Yeah. And and she's sobbing, I was pleasing myself. <laughs> well, if you're pleasing yourself instead of Jesus, what do you need to tell Jesus? Mm. Dear Jesus, I was wrong for hitting, uh, for not pleasing you. Forgive me. And, and then what do you need to tell your sister? And she asks forgiveness of her sister. And then you turn to the five-year-old and say, and I want to ask you a question when you hit her back. Were you pleasing Jesus or pleasing yourself? I was pleasing myself, you know, and, and, uh, and now you can't do that in every single time, but there's, there's got to be this, this constant theme going through what we're doing that we, we live life to please Jesus or please ourselves. And we need his help in doing that. And it, and it brings them at, at some point as we talk with them to, um, to a, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and, and even in parenting, most of the times, I- immature believers and immature children, uh, ch- children because they are immature, um, many times do what they do. Th- they do the right thing to avoid punishment. Yeah. And that's, that's not a bad motive. Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. It's not a bad motive. It's not the most mature motive, but it's not a bad one. And and then they grow to the point where they really do. If there if there's a a relation with mom and dad growing and with the Lord growing, by by junior high and high school, they, they were making decisions to do right uh, because they 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 there's an aspect where they wanted to please God, but a lot of it they 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 really wanted to please mom and dad. And and I, I don't mean in a fair cycle way. There's a relationship where they they don't want to displease mom and dad. And then and you're always moving them toward where they please God. And so there's a maturing of motive. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only way to keep them from becoming legalists uh, and, and little Pharisees is to keep the relationship 
between the parent and child and the and the child and god preeminent and so much of that is seen by is developed by whether the child sees mom and dad interacting with god in the trials of life and pointing them to god in the trials of life and so uh they've got to see the relational aspect of it or they do just it just does become uh, a matter of rules and relation every relationship has rules if mom and dad mom doesn't like she wants you to take your shoes off when you come into the carpet or something i we, we never did that but some do well that's if you're gonna have a relation with mom then that's a rule um, if i find when i'm dating my wife that she's allergic to daisies which she's not that becomes a, ru- a rule then i thou shalt not bring her daisies <laughs> yeah. if that relate if that relationship is important then then i understand her nature and i don't want to violate her nature yeah. and the same way with god the more they learn of god and the more they learn to please God and walk in the spirit and understand how their flesh works, then then the more they they want to do what he wants. We do, though, we love him and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Mm. So that's kind of the emphasis that um, we took. And I wanted to catalog a lot of that for my daughters. No, I really appreciate that. Just the, the two things I, I really liked. One, as you said, you can't always have that. You can't have that conversation every time with your kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. sometimes when Especially we, when you're driving in the minivan, <laughs> <you know? laughs> I think sometimes when we're doing like a parenting conference or some books, like it promotes this idea, like every discipline is an opportunity yeah. for the gospel. And it's like, yes, but we also live in the real world and in minivans and, yeah, and yeah, whatnot. And, right. <laughs> uh, but, but that, that concept of maturing motives is so, so important for us to see uh, for ourselves as well as for our, for our children and, and just, people in general so yeah now you talked a little bit about having um, when it can turn legalistic or pharisaical can you talk a little bit about what that looks like in sanctification how we can turn pharisaical um, or legalistic or self-righteous and how does that what does that look like if we're um, starting to have that pharisaical mindset in sanctification well second peter one uh three says that God has given to us all things that pertain to life, eternal life and godliness in this life through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. And at, at the heart of, of any legalism is, is some form of pride, whether it's the self-protective fear driven pride or or an arrogant look at me kind mm-hmm. of pride or anything in the continuum or a mixture of all of those. But you, you really can't spend very much time before God and, and walk away haughty mm-hmm. or self-reliant. Um, you look at everybody who saw God in the old and new Testament. And I know they, they saw outward manifestations, Moses, uh, at uh, Mount Sinai or Ezekiel or uh, John in, on the Isle of Patmos or, or Paul on the Damascus Road. When Paul's going on the Damascus Road and and he sees the glory of God, you know, if he's riding on his donkey or horse or whatever, I, it didn't need a servant to come over and tap him on the leg and say, now this would be an appropriate time to get on your face on the ground. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's just instinctive. If you really are seeing the power and, and the majesty or the love 
that God has for you, his mercy toward you. Your, your face is on the ground saying, depart from me. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a sinful person. And, and you, you, you can't be a controlling mean fisted, um, judgmental person. If you're spending any significant time Mm -hmm. before the creator, God, your redeemer, it's a humbling experience. Mm -hmm. And, a person who's just proud and arrogant and pushy and controlling is uh, it, it may it may be out of fear uh, the control, but that means he hasn't seen the perfect love of God that's cast mm-hmm. out fear. There's always an attribute of God that is is the remedy for whatever I'm experiencing, and we've got to know God. Mm-hmm. You you have a section. Uh, later on in the book, I think that talks about yes. exposure to God. I think it, you might even use the analogy of like sunburn, just kind of <laughs> exposed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, you, you just shared a couple examples from scripture where people f- have that physical manifestation, right? Moses, Paul. But for believers today, we don't often uh, maybe ever get that same same right, exposure. Right. Yeah. What are yeah, some ways we, that we that, shouldn't? <laughs> <laughs> what are some ways? <laughs> <laughs> what are some ways? What are some ways that people that Christians believers today uh, can can be exposed? How are we exposed to God today? Yeah, I, I I think it's it uh, it. it all depends on your heart and your approach to the scriptures. And John says, this is the the record which God had testified of his son. And so I need, I remember as a freshman, when God was turning me around, um, I heard somebody say uh, in, a, in a message, I think it was a, a cassette tape message back in the days of cassette tape was high technology, um, that you're not ready to live until you know what you want written on your tombstone. Mm. And I went back to my room and drew a crude tombstone and just began really thinking about that over the next several days or weeks. God, what it, Covey, Covey says now, you know, start with the end in mind. That's what this was before mm-hmm. Covey came along. But, but I, I, I look through passage after passage and in scripture over the next several weeks, just saying, God, how do I want this to end up? And, and I came to Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom or the rich man is riches, the uh, mighty man is might, but let him that glory, glory in this that he understandeth and knoweth me. And I thought that's what I want to live for. I, I, I'm not saying my wife has to write this on my tombstone, but <laughs> but but here here lies a man who knew God, and found Him to be more than enough. Mm. And and so then I really pursued how is it that a man gets to know God? And I had uh, two profs in particular at Bob Jones that it was just radiant. I mean, all of them uh, knew God, I'm sure, but but there are two that they could hardly speak of God and his glory and his majesty and his works without very, very strong emotion. Mm. And I thought, these men have seen God, and I I want that for my mm. own life. And so going to the scripture 
and saying, what is what does this passage teach me about God? What does it teach me about the way I can live and please him? What does it teach me about myself and how I relate to this God? And and it it, it, it began a search of a different sort. I grew up in a Christian home and I've been a, I was a Christian, but I, I wasn't pursuing God and 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 Paul in Ephesians 1 and 3 talks about I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened that you would be able to know certain things and in chapter 3 he he says uh, I, I pray for this um, uh, comprehension of the love of God that passeth knowledge and that you would be filled with the fullness of God and so I begin praying God, show me yourself here. Paul is Paul is obvious because he's he's praying these for these people. It's not he's he's teaching us. It's not automatic. A person's God has to. If I want to know you or you want to know me, we have to reveal ourselves to each other and, and live around each other enough that we see each other in day in and day out ways. But but knowing God is He's given us a self revelation in the Scripture, but. I need my eyes enlightened. I need illumination. Mm-hmm. That Bible doctrine where God opens our eyes to see the, the the beauty of what is here, the compelling nature of what is here, the the uh, truth and the veracity of what is here, where we walk away saying, "I believe this. This is right." God. God just—it's—it's it's like these words, and I'm not saying we look for an experience, but, but there are times when it seems like the words lift off the page almost in neon lights, and it's mm-hmm. like God says, "You gotta get this," <laughs> you know, <laughs> and your heart soaks it up, and you say, mm-hmm. "I have seen something from God today." It's not extra biblical. I'm not looking for an experience. But when God does show up with illuminated understanding, it is an experience that mm-hmm. is life changing and it's it's not that we are for every change i have to keep going back to those time uh, back to those passages letting god refresh my forgetful heart um but you pursue it like you pursue it with your spouse you you don't say i do make this commitment and uh, my wife and i just celebrated 50 years of marriage um, a couple of months ago and uh, it's it's renewing that many times it's spending a lot of time Mm. together it's it's a lot of praise of the other person what you're seeing and thankfulness for the other person and to the other person there's a lot of personal interchange that must go on Mm. if a relationship is going to develop and i'm afraid many christians think of salvation like season tickets you know and you you go to church all the time and you you know you you've got this ticket into heaven but there's a god to be known and a god to be imitated in this yeah that's a great um i love your explanation and even when you talk about the word something that came to mind was you you're staring at the word and then that softens your heart and so it just reminds me of your heart being softened and it's melted so then it can be molded. So you've yes. put yourself in a position so that the spirit can work, so that he can illuminate yes. and can transform. And so that was just a great um, overall description of how the Lord reveals himself and uses that to transform us. And, and I, I wouldn't say 
that kind of thing happens every day. Um, it's there have been times in my life where I, I I was just gripped by the fact that Paul says I don't boast in anything but the cross in Galatians, and I thought, boy, that's not my testimony. I, I mean, I value the cross. I I. I believe the cross and all it represents and I value it, but I can't say that's my boast. Mm. And so I cleared away a Saturday and, and um, I spent it reading all of the uh, final chapters of, of uh, the gospels. And then in first Corinthians 15, I finally landed in Isaiah 53. And it was after that search that, God opened my eyes again to the fact that he was he was bruised for my iniquities. He was the chest the chastening of my peace was upon him and with his stripes I was healed and and the Holy Spirit just gave me a fresh appreciation mm-hmm. and love and devotion but but that was after hours of the pursuit of God. And A.W. Tozer was a big help to me at the beginning on so much of that. His book, The Knowledge of the Holy, The Attributes of God, The Pursuit of Man, The Pursuit of God, um, and J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. Mm. As I studied those, I got a picture of what it was to really pursue God um, in a way where that relationship became personal as he because you and I don't, we don't dump our souls to the casual observer, and God doesn't either. Uh, we so it, anyway, I could go on for a long time. But. Well, I think it, I mean I like the analogy you use of marriage, and we have few generations of marriage. Like and just got married. We've been Four married months. 20, 20 years, and you're fifty years. And I think it's a good, but because the reality is, we are in the presence of God always even unbelievers, Mm -hmm. but we don't take time to know him, uh, even though he's right there. And you can Mm -hmm. have marriages that are brand new, 20 years, 50 years old, where people are just coexisting, but they're not really pursuing knowledge of one another. And I think as Christians, we can fall into that Mm -hmm. with God as well, where he's around us. We even go to church. His word is right there. And maybe even we're, we're, we're reading it, but not studying it, not really dwelling mm-hmm. on it with him. And it's like cohabitating, but not really pursuing knowledge. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, yes. yeah. Yes. Well, thank you for that. Uh, well, we're almost, <laughs> we're almost out of time. Like this has been a good conversation. So, so we have a segment at the end called Two Minute Favorites that we like to do. Um, before we jump in there, though, because we had lots of questions about your book that we didn't get to, uh, so encourage our re- our audience to, to check out your book. But you also have a lot of other books and some other ministries. Where can people go to to find the your find out about your other ministries, your writing, teaching, yes, yes. other stuff? Um, I, I will say um, I, I discovered here recently that PNR also put out an audio book. Um, uh, so if somebody wants to read it on their way to work and, and back, there's a, a, a great way to do that. Um, but my, my own personal website is jimberg.com and it is, uh, it's B E R G Jimberg. 
Com and it's uh, where all the resources, the other books I've written, and um, a lot of downloadable uh, seminars, uh, free downloads on um, uh, various studies. And all, all of my writing and and teaching is on sanctification and biblical counseling. Um, and then the other ministry that my wife and I started 13 years ago is freedomthatlasts.com, and it's a, minister, a local church ministry to addiction strugglers, and we've had that the last 13 years in our church. Uh, we This past Friday night, uh, we were, uh, we've been out of town, but we run close to or over 100 every Friday night, night mm-hmm. 97 last Friday night, that uh, God gives us opportunity to minister to. And we're helping other churches start um, addiction discipleship uh, programs. And uh, so if they go to freedomthatlast.com, they can find out about that. And then, of course, um, BJU Seminary, seminary seminary.bju.edu. We have um, an undergrad program in biblical counseling, a grad certificate in biblical counseling, an MA in biblical counseling, MDiv core in biblical counseling, and a DMIN in biblical counseling. We're really committed to biblical counseling. <laughs> so uh, so uh, we can help anyway, Nat. We'd love to. All right. Very good. Well, as I mentioned, we have this segment called Two Minute Favorites. And uh, let me get my timer going if I can find it here. All right, two minutes, and here we go. What is your favorite food? Oh, my wife's uh, chili, I think. Um, your least favorite word? Um, whatever. <laughs> favorite. That's my least favorite word. That's good, that's good. Favorite color? Uh, blue. Favorite sports team? Uh, I don't, I don't follow sports teams. I think football is a brown ball with a pointy ends, but I'm not really sure. <laughs> All right. Favorite word. Uh, Christ. I know that sounds like everybody should say that, but it really is. Your favorite restaurant. Uh, there's a place in Greenville called the peddler. It's just a wonderful, wonderful steakhouse. Mm. What's a favorite gift you've ever received? Um, 50th anniversary here, it's a wedding ring from my wife. And the favorite one I've ever given is a wedding ring, an engagement ring. (laughs) Jump in the gun. Yeah, I was going to say, you stole my next question. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Favorite superpower? Oh, I would love to fly. Favorite candy? Oh, dark chocolate. If your mother were to describe you in one word, what word would she use? It depends on what part of my life. <laughs> right <laughs> now. Up, yeah, right now, it would be um, uh, blessed, I think. Younger, I was the rascal. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite book of the Bible? Uh, New Testament, James, Old Testament, Ecclesiastes. Favorite movie? Oh my! Um, don't watch a lot of movies. Uh, I would well, say the Bible, but I read the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're saved by the bell. If you don't want to answer, our two minutes are up. So. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. Don't. I I couldn't tell you a favorite movie. 
Lord of the Rings, say, you know, might be. But. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, Jim Berg, thanks so much for being with us on 1514 today. Thanks for listening. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And special thanks to our team who helped make this podcast possible. My assistant, Rebecca Mullins, helps coordinate these interviews. And our podcast engineer, Caleb Lau, does a great job editing and putting everything together. We look forward to you joining us next time.